Thank you for being able to join me today as we study the book of Joshua. We continued our study in looking at how the land was distributed to the people. First, God commanded them to possess the land, to possess it. So they had to go there, conquer it, and then eventually to share it so that everybody there will have a place that they call their own. And those land were shared among the people. Some allocations were made in Gilgal, some were made in Shiloh. Then there were some cities of refuge where people could go when they were in trouble. But last but not the least, there were Levitical cities. Let me talk about the Levitical cities first. These Levitical cities had a very special place in the heart of God. The tribe of Levi or Levi didn't have any territory assigned to it, but they were scattered throughout the whole land of Israel. This way, they could teach the people the law of God and influence each of the tribes to be faithful to the Lord. The Levites needed places to live and pastures for their cattle. And so God assigned to them 48 cities for them to live in. They had specific pasture for land. The pasture could not be sold, but the houses could be sold. And the Levites even had special privileges for redeeming their property. Now, God was doing this so that in each of these cities, or when the Levites lived among the people, they could teach them the law, they could influence them, so that, that nation that God was setting as a light upon a hill would shine for all to see the love of God. And as you read the Bible, you see how they played their role. When they played their role well and the people listened to them, there were blessings. When they did not do their things well and the people did not see or follow the teachings of God, there were troubles and challenges in the land. Friends, as you read this old account, you may ask yourself, why do we keep reading this old, old account, the book of Joshua, somebody you don't know, and the land of Israel, and the land of Jordan, and Jericho? You may ask all these things. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12 tells us, what value reading these books and learning its principles will teach us. And these things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down as a warning for us, in whom the culmination of the ages has been attained. Therefore, whoever thinks he is standing securely should watch out so he doesn't fall. So, when you are reading this book, this old book, when you're reading the Bible, or for that matter, any biography or autobiography, or when you are going through life, shine your eyes. What do I see? What am I learning? What is God teaching me? Because God's desire for you is to progress, is to prosper, is to be enriched, is to live to achieve God's plan for your life, to direct you. But the world will squeeze you. Satan will seek to destroy you. The enemy will seek to pull you down. People will bring you gossip and lies that may confuse you. But God says, stay close to me. And when you read stories of others, when you read the Bible and you read these accounts, may they help you, may they open your eyes. 
But may you ask the Holy Spirit in prayer and even that you and your household and your children will live the faith that God will want you to live. So we see how the land was distributed, the assignments that were made in Gilgal. We see that the two and a half tribes were settled at the east of Jordan. That's Reuben and Gad and half tribe of Manasseh. They agreed to settle there. Why? Because as far as they were concerned, that land was suitable for raising cattle. The fact that these two and half tribes would not be living in God's appointed land didn't seem to worry them. Oh, we can stay where we want to stay. We don't want to cross. We can help our brothers and sisters when they have a need. And Moses graciously agreed that they could stay where they would stay. These tribes, as we saw last week, became a sort of public thoroughfare between the Jews in Canaan and the hidden nations like Moab and Ammon. They became extremely vulnerable, both to military attack and unfavorable, ungodly influence. And both of these became eventually the reason for their downfall, the attacks and the ungodly influence. So we learned that lesson and we should learn it. Don't become a borderline Christian. Some live in the church on Sunday or Wednesday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they live anyhow. And nobody knows they are Christians or they do what everybody is doing. They are borderline. They live in the world and they also live in the church. Friends, you don't enjoy God fully if you don't live for him. Enter into the inheritance God appoints for you and rejoice in it. He will choose your inheritance for you. You would excel because he loves you. God's will is that you worship him. You live in the world and you are fully dedicated to God and he will bless you. You see, if you live halfway in the world and in the church, what happens is that you are too influenced and too exposed to many, many things. You are rather to bring people to the light. But if you allow the darkness to influence you, your darkness will be dim indeed. Then again, there were two and a half tribes west of the Jordan. These next tribes to be settled were Judah in the south, Ephraim across the land in the middle, and the other half tribe of Manasseh. See, Caleb himself belonged to the tribe of Judah. He had been one of the two faithful spies, so he received his inheritance first. Joshua, the other faithful spy, was to receive his inheritance last. Caleb reminded his friend Joshua, of the promise Moses made to them 45 years earlier, that they would survive the years of wandering and receive their inheritance. And this promise gave Joshua and Caleb joy and courage as they endured years of wandering and waiting. Friends, they were encouraged because they had an eye for the promise that that land of Milk and honey will become theirs one day. That's the lesson number two that we learned. Be encouraged in your journey. You have an inheritance and you will receive it. Have you seen 
athletes running, running, running day and night. Have you seen boxers boxing? Are you a student? Do you study hard? Do you see people mining, as they call it, burning the midnight oil in order to study and pass an exam to go to the next level? Have you seen farmers tilling the land? Have you seen people who we call truck pushers, pushing trucks? Have you even seen people, we call them dog chain sellers, we mock them. Have you seen people in the sun selling ice water or hawking, doing all kinds of things, sometimes running. People are seeing abai, abai, and they're running helter-skelter. All of these people want to live a comfortable life, but they know that at times, without sweat, you will not get what you want. As somebody has said, no cross, no crown. You see, if you don't work for it, you will not get it. But because they have an eye on a price, on the money that they will get to feed themselves, on the rewards that they will get from the football or from the athletes, from the training as athletes, from the exam results that there's a better future they are able to endure. If you don't have an eye on the future, if you have no hope, if you cannot see the future and imagine a state that will be desirable for you, you may not be able to survive in this life. Those who only think about today, let's live today for tomorrow we die. Don't achieve anything in this life. So Joshua and Caleb and all these other people look forward to the time when they will have the rewards, the toll for their labor. Look, be encouraged. The journey is coming. You and I, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has already given you a promise. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we read how we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in heaven because we belong to Christ. Hallelujah. They were looking for land, but we are not looking for a land here. We are looking for a land made by God himself. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, tells us the same thing. All honor to God, to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is his boundless mercy that has given us a privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. Now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose again from the dead and God has reserved for his children a priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in his mighty power, will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting him. It will be yours in that coming last day for all you see. So be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead even though you are going through rough times down here. Hallelujah. So be encouraged. Go on a pilgrim journey. Pay the price for it. Let God make you strong. And you will win. That's why Caleb was 85 years old. But he didn't look for an easy task. That would suit an old man. He would sit and cross his legs. So give me this mountain. The secret of Caleb's life is found in a phrase he repeated over and over. He gave his life wholly to the Lord. And wholly 
He was an overcomer because he had faith in the Lord. Do you have faith in the Lord? First John 5 forces, For every child of God can obey him, defeating sin and evil pleasure by trusting Christ to help him. May God encourage you like Joshua and Caleb. Let their example encourage you. The lesson we learn again is that we are never too old to make new conquests of faith in the power of the Lord. Like Caleb, we can capture mountains and conquer giants if we wholly follow the Lord. No matter how old we become, we must never retire from trusting and serving the Lord. Some time ago, we made a trip and went to Korea. We had heard so many things about Korea, about the prayer mountain. And one of those days, we were going to this prayer mountain, and we saw vast loads of people coming to the prayer mountain to pray. And when we saw them, we couldn't believe what we saw. Elderly people, men and women in their 60s or 70s, or retired. What are they doing here? They're coming to pray. They had time on their hand. They had time, but they still loved the Lord. They were giving their hearts, their time, their money to intercessory prayer, to missions across the world. So, wow. Yes, maybe when they were young, they didn't have that much time because they were working to earn a living. But even in their old age, they may not have been able to run across the mountain, but they could certainly pray to God who answers prayer. Friends, be encouraged. There are people in the ministry who sometimes will say, oh, I'm, uh, the pastor is going on retirement and people don't understand it. We can never retire from ministry. We can retire from an office, but we never retire from ministry. Interestingly, you see Joshua and Caleb. Joshua was the leader. Everybody knew about Joshua, but Caleb was not. But Caleb, when he came to his time, he said, no way, I will still continue. I will still have to win because I'm never too old to make a conquest of faith. God will strengthen me. My eyes will work because of him. Ask yourself, why should God give you another day? Why should God grant you another year? Why should God grant you the year that is coming? Why should he grant you another month? I believe the answer should be, Lord, grant me another year, another day, or heal me, or make me prosperous so that I can live to fulfill my assignment. Hallelujah. So I can live. And that was Joshua. And that was Caleb. In Joshua chapter 15, verses 13 to 19, we see Caleb providing for the next generation. That he was so determined that he even wanted something for the next generation. We just read a couple of verses there. Joshua chapter 15, from verse 13 to 19, it says, The Lord instructed Joshua to assign some of Judah's territory to Caleb. So he was given the city of Arba, which had been named after Anak's father. Caleb drove out the descendants of the three sons of Anak. 15. And he fought against the people living in the city of Deborah. 16. Caleb said that he would give his daughter, Asha, to be the wife of anyone who would go and capture Kiriab Shepher. Othniel, Caleb's nephew, was the one who conquered it. So Asha became Othniel's wife. As she was living with him, she urged the father to give him additional field as a wedding present. So what we see here 
The man was not just content with dying and being buried somewhere. He was providing for his children and his children's children. Some of Caleb's faith rubbed off his son-in-law, Othniel, who later became a judge in the land. You see that in Judges chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. Caleb's faith also touched his daughter, for he had the faith to ask the father for her field and then for springs of water to regain the land. Caleb's example of faith was more valuable to his family than the property he claimed for them. We are never too old to make conquest. That's what I'm saying. And when we live that life, may God help us that it will become something else that will touch other people. The older generation must provide for the next generation, not only materially, but most of all, spiritually. It must be an example to the believers and help the younger generation to trust in the Lord fully, to know that it is good to serve the Lord. And that's what Caleb was showing. It is good to serve the Lord, to serve him and to serve him. In the location of the land, we see Ephraim and Manasseh. They were the two sons of Joseph, whom Jacob adopted and especially blessed. Since the tribe of Levi wasn't given any territory, these two tribes made up the difference so that there will now be 12 tribes in Israel. The birth order was Manasseh and Ephraim, but Jacob reversed it. He reversed it prophetically because he was just following God's instruction and we don't want to go into that now. Now, in the nation of Israel, the sons inherited the property, but the daughters of Zelophehad saw to it that the daughters weren't discriminated against. Like the daughter of Caleb, these men had faith and courage to ask for their inheritance, and they even changed the law. You see, they wanted their portion, and they were bold enough to ask for it. Why? What lesson do we learn there? God wants to give all his people an inheritance. You don't have because you don't ask. That's what we see. The women who were not supposed to have property, but they asked and they got it. Caleb's daughter asked, she got it. The daughters of Zelophe had asked and they got it. What do we read in James chapter 4 verse 2? You want what you don't have, so you kill to get it. You long for what others have and can't afford it, so you start a fight to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. Ask, ask, and ask. Pray until something happens. Nothing good would the Lord withhold from you. Nothing from your first birth should hinder you from claiming all that Christ has for you. Maybe your life in the past was not the best, but nothing should prevent you from getting what God has for you in Christ. If you have given your life to him, you are a child of the king, and the king says, I will bless you, and I will bless you, and I will bless you. But there's another lesson that we, we, we learn here. Joshua had a problem with the children of Joseph, the two children of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. They complained. And why did they complain? That they felt 
they were not giving enough land. They had produced, they had children, and they were a large number. And they thought they were great people, and therefore they should have a lot of land. We read that in Joshua chapter 17, verse 14 to 18. Then the two tribes of Joseph came to Joshua and asked, Why have you given us only one portion of the land when the Lord has given us such a huge population? And Joshua said, If the hill country of Ephraim is not large enough for you, and if you are able to do it, you may clear the forest land where the Perizzites and the Rephaim live. Fine, said the tribes of Joseph, for the Canaanites in the lowland and Beth Shen and the valley of Jezreel have iron chariots and are too strong for us. Then you shall have the mountain for it, Joshua replied. And since you are such a large, strong tribe, you will surely be able to clear it all and live there. And I'm sure you can drive out the Canaanites from the valleys too, even though they are strong and have iron chariots. A very interesting verses, Joshua 17, 14 to 18. Here, the two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, what were they saying? We are great people. We have the population. We have the numbers. You see, our father, Joseph, was the one who brought about prosperity to the land, to, to Israel. He was in Egypt. It's because of him that you are all alive here. So give us more land. All they wanted to do was to brag and to boast. And after all, didn't Jacob personally adopt and especially bless us? And haven't we multiplied in a great way? And wasn't Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim? These people thought they deserved a special treatment. Friends, it always happens. Nepotism, tribalism, uh, schoolmatism. There are all kinds of things that people do to confuse you as a leader. We do it in church. We do it in politics. We do it everywhere. It is a human characteristic. And if you do not take time, your own people will confuse you. And they did it. In the book of Joshua, they did it. So Joshua turned to his own brethren and told his brethren that if you are such a great people, now go and prove it. The land is there. Go to the hills. Clear the land. Till it. Level it. So no, down there, there are chariots. They are iron chariots. He said, look, Caleb, an old man, went there. He said, give me this mountain. There were Anakims there. There were giants there. He cleared them. Why don't you go and prove it? So Joshua said, do what Caleb did and defeat the giants and claim the mountain. Friend, and they didn't. They kept criticizing and criticizing. And they wanted to create problem for Joshua. And Joshua stood his ground. You see, for where envy and self-seeking exists, Confucian exists in every way and every time. So we learn another lesson here. It is not your boasting, but your believing that gives you the victory and gains you new territories. You see, they were boasting they had the numbers. But Joshua is telling them, it is not your boasting or your believing that gives you the victory. Faith without works is dead. Go there. Believe God. Do something. Let him bless the work of your hands. Let him give you dreams about the future. Let him give you job opportunity. Let him make you the head and not the tail and prove to everybody that you know. Let your study, let your speech, let the way you carry yourself know what you can accomplish. Sometimes those who talk the most accomplish the least. 
And that's why he was telling the children of Ephraim that don't just come here and complain. Don't think that I'm part of the tribe and therefore you derail me so that I won't do the will of God and give you what you don't deserve. God has given you what you deserve. It's amazing that sometimes human beings can be so greedy. They have land that they have not tilled. They want more. They have houses that they build that they cannot live in. And yet they want more. They steal monies that they cannot spend. They are buried. They die. Their monies get lost. And they will not give to charity. They will not give it to the God's work. They will not do anything. They accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And somebody comes to just inherit them and just plunder it. And there are some who are so miserly. All that they are interested in is bragging about it. Boasting. Have you seen my house? Have you seen my car? Have you seen my this and that? I've been here. I've been here. I've been this and that. He says, it is not your boasting, but your believing and your service and your bravery that gives you victory and gains you new territory. Will you decide to bless some people today by being kind to them, by helping them? Will you, as a politician, as a person in power, in office, as a chief, as a leader, decide that you're not going to let people confuse you to call right wrong and wrong right, but do the right thing. Joshua stood against his own people. Say, you, now, you are not going to corrupt me. I stand for God and God alone because he's the only one who will judge me. And that's one of the lessons we learned in sharing the land. Friends, major lessons from all of these things, spiritual lessons that you can learn. Not just bother from here, learn from here, learn from that, but you see people's behavior and attitude when it comes to material things. But may God help us. He opened our eyes to live for him. Friends, we are sharing these things so we can be stronger in our faith, stronger in the words that we share, stronger in our attitude, stronger in your character, and more determined to live for God. Just in case you don't know this God of Joshua as your Lord and Savior, today you can make that decision by praying, Lord, I come to you. Lord, I give myself to you. Lord, come into my life. Open my eyes that I will see. Open my ears that I will hear. Above all, I turn from my evil ways to follow you. Holy Spirit, fill me anew and use me to give praise and glory to you in all that I do. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Friend, if this is your prayer, I'll say amen with you because God loves those who turn to him and he will never cast you out. We can help you at Calvary Baptist Church or any Bible-believing church will be able to help you. Our details are given at the end of this message. Follow us, contact us, or any Bible-believing church that will be able to help you. Until sometime again, this is Pastor Fred Dayby saying, God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. And read the word of God, pray the word of God, enjoy the word of God, because there's victory in God's word. Amen.